Welcome again to the Springs. If you're visiting, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Peter. I serve as a lead pastor. And let me just double down on the Happy Father's Day sentiment thing. Uh, I want to honor our dads in here. Uh, it was about a week ago, I was with our four little kids at HEB. And something that is really typical of my last several years happened. Uh, this guy, I was with all four of our kids shopping, uh, grocery shopping, which I'm not that good at. Uh, I'm good at getting the things I need to get, but then like three times more. Uh, but then this 60-year-old-ish guy looks at me and says, it looks like you're on babysitting duty. And typically, typically I'll just let him off the hook and be like, yeah, I need a, you know, I, this time I I just didn't quite let him off the hook. I just looked at him. I just said, no, I'm not. These are my kids. And he just stared at me. There was a little bit of an awkward silence, and I just pat him on the back and moved on. Uh, Here's the thing. I think there are so many things that the generation before us, kind of traditionally in in the United States, are doing, uh, did so much better than we do. But this is one of those areas where the Bible's always been clear, despite whatever weird traditions that... That the Bible does not say that men are to be even like uh, a little bit behind in parenting. Men, according to the New Testament and the Old Testament, are to be actually in a primary role in the discipline and the spiritual nurture of kids. And I'm not here to just teach about that, but to honor how I see that powerfully displayed in our dads. So dads here, I'm just here to say good job stepping up to the plate and leading in your homes. Good job. Now, if you're here and you're a dad and you're like, I don't know if I deserve that affirmation, by the way, you know. Well, let me just tell you, just receive it. Receive it as a prophecy, if you will. Uh, We're going to speak more about prophecy uh, in week four of our series. But week three of our series, in our unshakable series, we are talking about an unshakable life. Do you know that your life can actually be shaken, and it will be shaken, and yet there is a way that you can actually retain, nonetheless, an unshakable faith in Jesus. Now, just as a reminder, the 12 messages of this series track with the 12 chapters of the Purple Book, our Biblical Foundations book, that we have purchased in our budget. We've made it available for free out back, if you just go and say to the connections table and say, hey, can I have a purple book? They will give you a purple book and a beautiful smile. So uh, we're asking you to grab a purple book and get to work. You can catch up and you can do it. Uh, week one of our unshakable series, we talked about the unshakable story and finding your place in God's story, in the gospel. And then last week we covered the unshakable surrender, walking in obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to talk about unshakable change. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me to honor God's word. As we get right to Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up in the middle or towards the end of a sermon by Peter in Acts 2. What just happened in the temple area was one of the most alarming, strange, wonderful, powerful, discomforting displays of the Holy Spirit's power In the history of the world, they had just seen a powerful display, like a mighty rushing wind, of the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, Peter has just done a lot to explain why this, this thing that just happened was in fulfillment of a promise sent by the promised one. And he had just defended from Scripture why Jesus is the promised Messiah. We pick up in verse 32 where Peter says this. He says, This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, on th- poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my foot, your footstool. Verse 36, his conclusion Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, please add a blessing to the reading of your word that goes way beyond my thoughts. Enable supernatural change, not just reformation from humans. Help us to appropriately and with your revelation weigh out what you have done in your life, Jesus, so that we could see how it ought to affect the direction and the change in our lives. Amen. Today you need to know that the unshakable life is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of repentance. There's a big Christian religious word. What does repentance mean, you say? Well, thank you for asking. Repentance is change. Everyone say change. Change. Repentance is a change of heart, mind, and direction. Now, this idea is going to serve as our big idea that kind of unpacks the rest of this sermon as we go and, and consider more strongly the, verse that we, the verses that we just read. Repentance is a change of heart, mind, and direction. Those three things in order. Now, it, God himself is triune. He is three persons in one God mysteriously. He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. We've been made in His image, and we are not triune. We are we are at war within our parts, but we are tripart. We are spirit, soul, and body. And the point I'm going to make about this is that our whole person needs to be in a process, a lifestyle of change to conform to how God is. If we are made one with Jesus, we need to be in a process of change in our whole person, heart, soul, and the direction functionally of our bodies as well. Repentance is a change of heart, mind, and direction. And the change is ongoing forever and ever. That's why I say it's a lifestyle of change. Because there is one key moment for you 
when you will no longer have to change anymore. Can you guess what that is? It's when you die. That's the point where Jesus causes those who he has foreordained and that he is justified and that he is sanctifying to be glorified. He'd be alongside him. And that, at that point, when you die, uh, you're pretty much done repenting. But until that point, everyone take a breath in. Now breathe out and say, I need to change. All right? So it's an ongoing thing. It's a lifestyle thing. I daily need to repent to God and to my wife and to my children and to my friends. And in fact, this weekend, I gave myself some sermon material just with my behavior and attitudes. I still need to repent. And if you know me well enough, you can say amen. I'm not too loud because it hurts my feelings. Now you might say, Pastor Peter, I've heard about all the, uh, you know, the changing stuff. And I've, I've probably heard like, all the stuff that you're about to say in your sermon right now. But it's not working for me. Repentance is not working for me. I've, I've tried it before. Well, listen, Proverbs says, a righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. Now you might say, well, I, I'm disqualified then because I've fallen like 11,000 times, which is not a number. But check this out. Seven is a figure of speech. So the point is, get back up. Have you been slipping up recently? Well, if you're here and you hear by the Spirit of God, get back up. Have you fallen behind in your purple book? Get back up. I'm a lesson behind myself. I got to start chapter three tomorrow. I got to get done with chapter two. Have you not started your purple book? Get back up. It takes 10 minutes a day. You can catch up this summer. The point is, get back up. Repentance is a process, it's a lifestyle, and it starts somewhere. You are responsible for one day of repentance. Do you know what that day is? Today. That's all you're responsible for. You're not responsible for yesterday or tomorrow. It's a lifestyle. It starts somewhere and you're responsible for today. Now, where does it start? It starts in the heart. Remember, repentance is a change of heart, mind, and direction. And it starts with the heart. It's a change of heart. Before any mind or body change, it's a change of heart. And specifically, it starts with God changing your heart. Check this out. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now that verse right there really encapsulates the whole of the gospel. Because repentance is only possible because of what God has already done in the gospel. And specifically what God has made Jesus to be through his life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection. God has made him both Lord and Christ. The gospel is the good news about what God has done long before you ever tried to repent. You don't You don't repent to change your life around. Repentance isn't changing your life around. You can't. Repentance is about connecting to the life that God has already purchased through Jesus. It's about connecting to that. It starts with a change of heart that only God can enact. So really, what is the essential part that you play in enabling repentance at all? You crucified Jesus. 
and so did I. According to verse 36, our part to initiate change is to connect with the fact that we are guilty before a holy God of what we've done by substitution to allow Jesus to be put on the cross. He lived the life that we should have lived and he didn't deserve any punishment, but he chose to die nonetheless the death that we should have died in our place. So what's our part to enable this need for change? Well, we put Jesus on the cross. We crucified him. Now, if the things that I'm saying are just theoretical religious words that you've heard a lot, and if you're not convicted about your specific sins, about how you have crucified Jesus too, then it's of little use me yelling louder or, or, or you trying harder to change your mind or your body direction, any of that. The, without being convicted by God about your particular sins, the other steps are futile and maybe even dangerous. That's why the, the response of this next verse is, is so key. It says, this Jesus whom you crucified, in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, now we'll talk about that in a second. There were years where I heard, but I didn't hear that growing up in the church. But it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What, what do we got to do? You see, before we get to what, what, what Peter's response was, let's stop there. It says they were cut to the heart, and that's why they said, what do we do? They were convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is the point where God, the Holy Spirit, was actually functionally changing their heart. He was what the Bible, uh, what theologians call regenerating them. He was making them new. He was giving them a new spirit as the... the Prophets have prophesied before the New Testament. He was changing their heart, giving them a new heart. Repentance is first and foremost a gift from God that the Spirit of the living God changes the hearts of the people that he is converting and bringing to Jesus. Repentance is from God. If you're not cut to the heart, if you're not made new with godly sorrow for your sin and how you've offended a loving God, then all the other things that you try to do from there just make things worse, make t- sends you backwards. Worldly sorrow is this. The wrong kind of sorrow is, man, I'm a little upset I got caught, right? This was me going to church, you know, going to mass, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight for years, Pretty much all growing up. Worldly sorrow. Oh, dang. I got caught. But godly sorrow is this. Is that you are relationally cut to the heart about what you have done to affect your relationship with the one who loves you more than anything and gave everything for you. Godly sorrow. I've had so many uh, moments, like I said, where I had worldly sorrow, but there was a point where someone preached the gospel to me in my freshman year in high school, and no longer was it the other kind of sorrow. I, God was cutting me to the heart, making me new through the preaching of his word, and I had a new type of sorrow. I had a new heart. And from that point on, I could talk about the change of mind and the change of the direction of my life. 
But since then, here's the thing. I've been ministering to people since then, and I've noticed a lot of mistakes that I've made. And it's trying to get people to repent and and change their mind or the direction of their life before God changes their heart. And it's been so futile. I've wasted God-given time and probably hurt them in the process. Unless God changes your heart, you're stuck. Repentance starts with God changing our hearts through the gospel and through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. It's a heart transplant. It's a change of heart. And then next, number two, repentance is a change of mind. So it says they were cut to the heart in verse 37, and they said to Peter, what do we do? And he said, verse 38, repent. Repent. Now, you might have heard before that uh, the... The New Testament was mostly written in Koine Greek, um, and so we have different translations into our language. So when he said the word repent, the, the, the word he said on that day, on Pentecost, he said the word metanoia. Metanoia. You need to, what do we do? You need to metanoia, which means to change your mind. Brothers, what do we do? Change your mind. Here's my opinion about the progression of all this. This is my opinion. If God cuts your heart, and if God changes your heart, you need to change your mind along with it. Otherwise, your whole life will be a big internal confusion and a war within yourself between your new heart and your old mind. That's not how you're meant to live. You're meant to have a battle between the whole new person that you are versus the old lies of the devil. And it's a winning battle. The, only, the biggest thing that stops you from a winning battle is you. If God's changed your heart, you need to change your mind so that you can be a more cohesive Jesus person. And it's a lifestyle. It's an always change your mind thing. You're not the same person that you were before. You have an entirely new identity and you need to change your mind along with your heart about your whole life, about your career, about your relationships, about your body, about your finances. You need to change your mind. Does this explain any of the inner turmoil that you might go through throughout your life? I hope this helps. This has helped me. That you need to change your mind if God's changed your heart. Romans 12, do not conform any longer, meaning that you're probably conforming a little bit right now, but don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the changing of your mind. It's a lifestyle of change. If God changes your heart, you need to change your mind about everything else. Anyone here ever ever changed your oil? Anyone? When I first had someone show me how easy it is to change your oil, I was kind of excited about it, but also kind of ashamed that I had been spending 30 or 40 bucks every time I had someone do this. So I'm going to give you a change your oil 101. Ready? You drain out the old oil, the dirty, nasty, black oil stuff, right? You get, get that all out of there, and then you take, unscrew the filter and turn that out, and then you put new oil and a new filter in. It's... It's really simple. It takes about 20 minutes. Now listen though, people have said before, and especially you go to the wrong place, they'll, they'll change, you'll put new oil in there, they won't change the filter out every time. I don't think that's the right way to do it. You need to put a new filter in 
when you have new oil in there. Friends, listen. If God has changed your heart, you need to change your filter for how you see life. You need to change your mind about the life that you think is yours. It's no longer yours. It's God's. There's new oil in you. There's a new, uh, there's new anointing in you. There's new blood coursing through your veins. It's incorruptible Jesus blood. And you need to change your mind. Now in this context, let's examine the other areas of our soul, of our, of our soul person besides our mind that also need to, in the process of our lives, come in conformity and change to be more like Jesus. Remember, the soul consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, so how do our emotions, how do your emotions need to change, to conform, to be more like Christ? You better believe that God expects us to have dominion over our emotions. We're not just victims to our emotions. In fact, some of the most important commands of the Bible are emotional commands. Love the Lord your God. Jesus says that's pretty much the biggest commandment. Love is at least an emotion that God expects us to obey him with. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice, Paul says. What are areas of your emotions that need to come in conformity to God? What about your will, your human volition? You, know, you need to know that repentance is also at least a decision. It's a decision. First, it starts with God deciding to change your heart. But everything else in response to what God has done to us is a process of decisions. So as we're changing our mind, we're making decisions. Did you know that the word decision in English comes from a Latin word that literally just means to cut apart? So there's that root D. I'm an etymology nerd, so go with me here. There's that root D, which means just apart from, right? Then there's the scissio part, which means to cut. It sounds a lot like something else that cuts, like scissors, right? So if God has cut you to the heart... You need to make a decision every day to cut away from your old will to conform yourself to God's will in your life in conformity and cohesion with the new heart he's given you. It's a daily grind and process of your will and your emotions and at least also foundationally your mind. Let's think about just our mind for a second. In all of this, he, he literally just says change your mind. So think about just the different pathways in your mind that you're, you've grown accustomed to thinking about, uh, maybe the way you think about your body, uh, what you eat and drink, or what's wrong with the world and the politics, and what you think about relationships and whose you are and how you commit to people uh, or, or friendships in Christ. Uh, how are you accustomed to thinking in your mind about your rights within your marriage? in how you interact with your spouse. If you're like me, this is, this is where the Holy Spirit's starting to convict you. How are you accustomed to thinking about internet sites that you think you have the right to visit? Or the ways that we, we look at things in sexual purity? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Change your mind about all these things. Now get ready for an important question as you... Considering these things in context, if God has changed your heart, 
how do you need to change your mind about any of these various pathways in your mind so that your body will then follow suit? Because there's a progression here. Heart, soul, body. How do you need to change your mind? Most of us have a series of unseen habits in our life that come from lies that we're believing that we need to change our minds about. That's why Victory Weekend, one of the things we do multiple times a year as just a basic discipleship, we we ask questions like this all day. And we say that Victory Weekend is a turning point so that we can start thinking differently and therefore acting differently. Now, if you've been through uh, our established 101 uh, and you haven't decided to go to Victory Weekend, next weekend, change your mind about that. Uh, but Victory Weekend is a turning point. It's not, it's not, it doesn't complete everything because uh, repentance is a lifestyle, but it's a turning point. I think the whole turning thing is a perfect segue into my last point. And that is that repentance is a change of direction. And when change of heart and mind have begun to ensue, the fruit of directional change in your life, a real turning, has to be present. In other words, there is a tangible, practical, observable, inevitable element to repentance and change in a Christian. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, there, there is a repentance that's a change of mind, but then there's some action steps that will be present. I think it's important to note that, that necessarily... Baptism in the sentence follows repentance. So I, I was dipped in water as, as, as a little baby, but there was no heartfelt change, you know, heart or mind real repentance until I was 14. Baptism here follows. It comes after repentance and a heart change. Uh, and, and that's necessarily. But I, I would say also that it's necessary that these two are together. Meaning that if you have a change of heart and a change of mind, there needs to be a directional, observable change in your life. And baptism is one of those things that symbolizes that. There's an there's a external, observable turning in the life of a Christian that you have, have to be observably different. And not just trying to convict yourself, but it's what happens. I think this brings redemptive value to that whole quote, the whole phrase, Get turnt. You need to turn. I tried, so you got to try things sometimes. You need to turn from sin and turn to God. In fact, about 500 years ago, when this, when this uh, verse 38 was translated into English, the translators made a choice to translate metanoia into the word repent, which previous to that was a military term, which meant just turn around or about face. When troops were marching in one direction, there was a a command and they turned around. Repentance has to involve a change of direction, a a true turning, and and it's a specific direction. It's turning from yourself and turning to God. And this is important. I have to clarify what kind of turning it is. 
I've said that repentance starts with God's decision to change your heart. So repentance starts with God, but repentance also ends with God. He's the destination of our repentance. Repentance and change is from God, but it's also for God. It's one of those classic, I think it's a Sheryl Crow song, where she says, you know, change will do you good or something like that, right? Well, if it's not the Bible kind of change, it'll do you no good. Only change that's turning from yourself and necessarily turning to a particular holy God who paid a price for us, that's the only change that the Bible calls true repentance. You might want to you know, turn in various moments of your life from the way you're living to live differently. And, and, and oftentimes it's not real repentance because it's like it's changing your, your life around and it kind of giving yourself an upgrade. You know, and maybe sometimes it's so easy to use the Bible because the Bible has great, uh, the, the Bible has amazing principles in it, but disconnected from the saving work of God, you can actually abuse scripture to try to just improve upon yourself. But God doesn't want to improve you. He wants you to die. He wants you to cut, he wants to cut your old heart out and give you a new heart. That's what the gospel is all about. That's why Jesus had to die. He wants to give you a heart that turns from seeking pleasure in yourself and turns to seeking pleasure a lot more than you ever sought it, but finding it only in God himself and not anything that's lesser. And there must be an evident turning from self and to God. In fact, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, he commands those seeking repentance to, quote, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is a directional public visual change in a Christian's life if God's changed his or her heart and they're changing their mind. There's always public evidence for any private relationship. I'll give you an example. Like in marriage, there's a lot of things that need to remain private, like bedroom things, but then there's public things, like this ring that I wear that symbolizes that I've turned from being single And now I'm united with my wife. It is a public expression. And baptism symbolizes this this process as well. Repent, change of mind, be baptized. It's an outward symbol, the Baptists say, of an inward change or truth. Now, I wouldn't say it's only that, though. Because baptism at least symbolizes the death of, and resurrection of Jesus going in and out of the water. So it's a symbol, it symbolizes that. But I think it also, there's a functional element to where baptism powerfully energizes the process. That there is a death and resurrection of us that God is reinforcing and, and energizing as we're obedient to turn and to trust him. And there's an external expression like baptism. It's a tangible thing. And let's break down this word. He says, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin. I I think the word forgiveness is not a great translation in English. Uh, King James says, be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sin, which means sending away. Uh, But I'm going to take you to the Greek word again. I think it's important. The Greek word used is aphasis. Be baptized for the aphasis of sin, the the, the word of faces literally means a release from bondage 
or imprisonment. Y'all, if God has made your heart new, and yet you're not yet following through as much with the other steps of changing your mind and, and seeing the direction of your life change, you can actually be forgiven of sin and yet still in many ways remain under the pattern and bondage of it. And so here's what you need to do. You need to turn. It's like if God came and opened your prison cell and you're free, said you are free, that's who you are. It's your choice to come into agreement with what he just said and proclaimed over you and to change your mind and say, yes, I am free. But it follows that you actually step out and to walk in freedom. It's important. That's why I think when Peter uses the word repent and be baptized, there's an element of you agree with your freedom and you act on it. And baptism is an important step in that. This week we celebrate Juneteenth, at least in Texas. Do you know that there's a period of time long after the Emancipation Proclamation by Lincoln in 1865 where former slaves continued to live as slaves because no one ever told them that they were free. And their captors needed the authoritative proclamation given to them. So when they were freed and they finally got to to Galveston and told these former slaves, you're no longer slaves anymore. There was a moment where they had to say, I agree with that in my mind and I'm going to walk in freedom. And it was a costly walking and we're still seeing the fruit of what it costs, but it's been enabled by the same pattern of the gospel alone, that we have to come into agreement with what God calls us and to walk it out. And church, every one of us here If you're a Christian, you used to be under the bondage of sin, but if God's changed your heart, God the Father has called you free because of what the Son has done and how the Spirit is convicting you. You need to, in your mind, say, I agree, I am free, and to walk in that freedom. You need to step out. And For some of us in here, there's a very practical step. That is ridiculously simple. It's you just need to decide to get baptized. Maybe you're like me where you kind of were sprinkled or whatever. You know, you had a thing when you were younger, but there was, that was before repentance was enabled in your heart and in your mind. And since that, you haven't decided to go down to the river or the trough or whatever and be baptized. And if that's you... You just need to make the decision to be baptized. In fact, we're going to get, make it a little bit easier for you. This week, uh, we said we're going through this ser- in this series, we're going through these foundations. We're, we're challenging you to dig your own foundation on God's word and, and to go through the purple book, but we're also having different events to, to go with it. In the park this week, we're going down to the river and we're baptizing people. The question you need to ask God is, Do I need to be one of those people? Would you pray with me?